We are the E E E E E E. Hey everybody! Welcome to another glorious episode of Nerd with Dre and Jeff. I am your co-host Jeff May, and you are. I am your other co-host, Dre Alvarez, found most places as Nerd Numbers. How's it going, Jeff? Oh, I'm living the dream, baby. And by the dream, I mean I just left a nightmare of, of this. Because we are doing, we are finishing up our season on uh, on television specials slash made-for-TV movies with a punishment. Well, <laughs> this I, I'm shocked how well these three came together, Jeff. So... The theme of season two of Nerd, for, for those listening who, who haven't connected the dots, is basically made-for-TV specials based on popular IPs, arguably with some spinoffs and possibly minor characters. Yes. And this actually falls right in that wheelhouse because it turns out um, this movie, I believe, came out in 85 or 86. Um, mm -hmm. It was a sequel to another Ewok movie, which we'll discuss in depth, I'm sure, or at least the, the history of. We talked the He-Man and She-Ra Christmas special, which came out in 1985. And then additionally, the Muppet Family Christmas was in 87. So we're, we're basically hitting peak child IP, like pure nostalgia cocaine. Yeah. Like for us, I mean, you for, for people that have not watched like the video clips of, of you on the show or, or other things like the live streams on Unpopular Opinion, you have just like a shrine to stuff behind you, including like 80s IP as well. So, this one I'm very curious about because I have a bigger fondness for this, and this also starts touching on other aspects of my life. I used Wicket as an as an avatar, as a as like an AOL instant messenger name for a period of time. So there's probably some more fondness due to that. And I'm curious how much you saw this as a kid because I did this not. relate. Okay, so this is perfect. So as an example, let's give a throwback to some other great Jeff IP. If you have not listened to the Alf Christmas special on Gamefully Unemployed, oh, that we just watched, favor, yeah. Go do it. It's 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 amazing. And what I loved is like the start of the show is Dave almost looks like he's just, I mean, there's no camera, but like it almost looks like Dave's looking at you and he's just like, Jeff, my God, why? I think that's his first thing is why. Yeah. And the answer that you give, which I'm in the same boat, is we're from an era where you might record something off television or or be lucky enough to have someone buy you a physical copy and you just watch the hell out of that. Yeah, that was just your hobby was and just the, watching the thing that you had on tape. We had the Disney Channel. And Disney is, of course, associated with ABC. And so I know I recorded like this off of the Disney Channel and watched it a lot as a kid. So we come back to it and I'm like, I enjoyed it, Jeff. The simple, simple question to ask is, well, how much did you see it as a kid? And that's always that, that is that is going to come up a lot on the show about nostalgia. This has a lot of the same energy that you get for the Super Friends episodes of Tom and Jeff Watch Batman that we do, which is the script is very throw throw a bunch of stuff against the wall and it's very stream of consciousness the plot is thin and and hackneyed it it's this is bad it this is yes. a this is a painful thing to watch um the they they get kirkland brand um drew barrymore uh to show up here this this the sindel character she she's you know not against no fault of her own because she was she was four years old toddler, in the first yeah. episode. It's worth noting she could not. She was not a trained actress. She could oh, not she read. Really? I thought she, I. Anyway, we'll, we'll get. She's to not a good actor. And and again, she's a a child. She's a baby. For God's sake, she's four, five, six years old max, and it's bad. Um, 
you have Wilford Brimley pl- playing like a sketch comedy version of a Wil- Wilford Brimley character where all he does is just be like, bah, bah, and then that that's it. it. You have terrible puppetry with the Ewoks and terrible costuming. Like, it's sort of like, how can, here's my thing. How can George Lucas create the three biggest movies in history? And within an inch of that, show up with the most C minus special effects. And that to me is, I think, the thing that is the most like, why would you? I've got two bit, I've got two bits of feedback on that last point. So, one, what George Lucas would and did say about this is this is TV versus movies, and there is a huge difference in budget and production. And don't do it. But no, but but follow up, Jeff, and this should tell this should tell people of the modern era what we grew up with, Jeff. I think this is really important because you're watching us with 2023 glasses. The Ewoks, The Caravan of Courage, released in 1984, and Ewoks, yeah. The Battle for Endor, released in 1985. This one, back-to-back, Golden Globes or Emmys, one of the two, for outstanding visual effects in a television show. No, no, no. Yes. The Golden, okay, well, here's the deal, then. That just means that the... Oh, that's embarrassing. This is not good. That's and telling you about the state of television in the 80s, Jeff. Sure, I get that. But here's here's the other thing, though, is if you're George Lucas and you literally conquered movies... He 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 restructured film. Like whether you like it or you hate it, he changed science fiction. He he totally changed it. And you can see it. You see it very differently between the movies that came out when you look at what Dino De Laurentiis did when he made Flash Gordon and when Star Wars came out. And you look at how they're two divergent versions of the same genre, right? Uh, you know, it's it's this big operatic play when you look at Flash Gordon and it's this otherworldly special effects bonanza when you look at Star Wars. So that's what George Lucas does. He does this so much. If you're saying, well, the budgets are different, why would you cheapen your name? And that's the thing that is really let's, upsetting let's, let's do some Let's do some backstory because it gets even funnier, in my opinion. Let's do and it. Also, yeah. And also to your point about like George Lucas, this visionary, but how did he come up with this? I think when you look at a lot of visionaries, what is really important is to think of it more like the 1986 Celtics. This is going to be a running theme. I'm going to keep bringing this up, Jeff. (laughs) You do like you have a collection of great players. Even right now, the Nuggets, my Denver Nuggets, have Nikola Jokic, who is the most transcendent offensive big man in the NBA since unbelievable. Yeah, he is ridiculous. That being said, his team is probably never going to win a title in the current state with how it is managed. Michael Jordan's best years in the NBA by the numbers were when he was not making the finals. And in some cases, they made the playoffs, but they made the playoffs with losing records. Well, that, yeah, that's great. That's because you're not, he's going to put up those numbers because he can't rely on other people. I get that. No, I, no he was, I'm, I, I've got lots of arguments there and there's all sorts of fun stuff. Basically, Jordan just had a bad team around him. He got good players, but he got good players when he was older and more beat up. If you would put like, a good counterexample to Michael Jordan is Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson, as a rookie because of lots of weird rules, joined the Lakers with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, the, the all-time winningest MVP, both at that time and in that season when Magic Johnson joined him, joined him and he won another MVP. Mm-hmm. Magic Johnson has an amazing career and his numbers look consistent across it. So he was playing with transcendent players like Kareem. Full time, yeah. And looks great. Michael Jordan, if Michael Jordan had had a player like Kareem or Magic or Bird his first year, 
it would have been ridiculous and, and destroyed the NBA. But that just didn't happen. Sure. All-time greatness requires a collection of talent, and that kind of happens. And what we noticed with George Lucas, and this is kind of the first signs of it, because the, the prequels are the all-time, is when George Lucas is on a team with a bunch of collaborators and they have to like make cuts and he has to take advice and whatever, that's where we get the empires. That's where we get the great things. And I mean, I think all of us can actually agree, also include the Ewoks, Return of the Jedi is 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 definitely overrated just because, you know, I mean, it's the we can tell we you could talk more about the rankings of of the Star Wars films, and that's fine. It's it, uh, Star Wars is best when George is participating in somebody else's directing and somebody else's directing. Like w when you look at like Irvin Kirshner doing Empire Strikes Back and you're like, oh, well, yeah, George Lucas needs people around him to say no, or he needed at this point in time. Who gives a shit? And right? so, so let let's throw out what happened. Let's I, there's so much in the history of when you say George Lucas needed people to say no. Let's give you some backstory to this now. And before we get into that, though, okay. because I do want I do want to address this because you know it's important. You brought it up where you know we say, well, TV and film are different. Yeah, George, you failed at TV with Star Wars. You already did that. You you didn't learn your lesson is the problem because the the Star Wars holiday special viewed. Do you know what this was? Do you know what this was originally supposed to be called? This oh. was going to be the Ewok holiday special initially. <laughs> but, well, like, not, not this one, the first one. The, the he should have. Yeah, but he should have learned at that point in time. Like, if you can't do Star Wars, you can't make Star Wars so big. And then bring it in live action on something smaller because it's going to look cheap. Now, can you shift it to animation? Absolutely. And that's the smart thing to do. And, and he eventually yeah, did that with droids and Ewoks. Those which, were on the same time and those are yes. terrible too. They're, they're terrible, but those are, those are clearly designed for children, not families. Okay. And you're not going to have people looking at these things and they'll, they'll look at them differently. Animation was judged differently at the time. And that is very key to understand. Look at Muppets, Muppet Babies, right? Nobody's got, if they did Muppet Babies as a Muppet show, it probably wouldn't have been as successful as it was. And you see this constantly popular movie, make a cartoon about it, easier to produce, less stressful, whatever. This is an event. This is a tentpole event. This was supposed to change broadcast TV, these two films. Like, let's be 100% well, honest. Let, let's point out the first one. Let's just say, got good feedback, good buzz, good reviews, one special effects award, which I know makes future Jeff pain. But essentially, ABC came to George Lucas and said, would you be interested in making uh, you know, a special? And he basically pitched a short Ewok special. Now, the reason, because his daughter liked Ewoks. So basically, he's like, I want to make a movie for my daughter. I'm going to make it about Ewoks. They then went, um, well, it's got to be long. It can't be 30, 45 minutes. It's got to be a full thing. So of course, the movies both of them so caravan of courage which is the first one and this one both feel lengthened because they are supposed to be made for tv events yeah. now the first one arguably did its job what george lucas said is my daughter likes ewoks i'm going to kind of copy hansel and Gretel. i'm trying to remember the stories you'd know better than me but i know there's a lot of popular stories in that vein of like the young warrior goes off and collects a group of people i think there's like an old japanese one where he's like got a ball of rice and he collects like a monkey and a dog and an ox and they overtake a, a castle kind of thing i know there there a lot of yeah you know, there's young... so many that's that that is what star wars is that that's a trope and i'm saying yeah. the first movie is that the first movie is these two kids have lost their parents who has been kidnapped by a giant 
monster that I've forgotten the name of. I looked it up before this, but I don't have it in front of me. The big hairy naked thing, yeah. Big hairy naked thing, yeah, the official one in like the Star Wars Custable card game, right? Mm -hmm. They're going after it, and they have to collect a collection of Ewoks with varying skills. One's like a woodcutter that's, you know, really strong, you know, D&D. Building an art, it's it's building, building any sort of fellowship. Yes. You know, like you're like, look at Fellowship of the Rings. You have your your tank and your your archer and your mage. And, you know, like you it's what you do. Yeah, this is that's the every hero story. They yeah. usually so, do. So, so the first Ewok movie does that is successful, does get good praise, regardless of if we in the future hate it, was watched by 60 million people on ABC, sure. highly reviewed, released overseas, makes money in the thing. Sounds great. Now. The wrong problem, right, is George lesson, George Lucas learns the lesson. I'm going to make stuff for my daughter. So what happens, though, is for this one, he walks the battle for Endor. His daughter wants another movie, and he's been watching Heidi with her. Yes, and which you, you can see the opening scene is Heidi. So he's been, oh, interesting. I haven't seen, like, the old ones, but. Well, anyway, I so. mean, it's, it's her and Wicket running through a rolling field. Yes. They might and as so well I, be in the Alps. Yeah, so Heidi for the in the Andorian Alps, yeah, is a Pollyanna-ish story, though it was made before Pollyanna, about a young girl who goes and lives with her grandpa or uncle in the the Alps, and he famously Shirley Temple played famously done by Shirley Temple, but she goes to the Alps and then like lives with him and like breaks his cold heart, and then she also like leaves for some reason to help someone else out, but comes back. So is what it is it's it's it's, george lucas is good at stealing uh, uh, previous ideas and morphing them into his world that is that's he's good at it that's what because george okay i i I like george (laughs) i'm friends with his son like like i like george a lot um but george george is like the the tales to to Spielberg's heads on the coin where they're both, they both know how to reach success. Spielberg does it from an artistic standpoint. Lucas does it from a financial standpoint. Like he understands the studio system of making money means you can continue making films. And Spielberg's is making great films means you can make money. Like that's, and obviously I'm, I'm, I'm summing it up a little too simply. And obviously there's much more subtlety and nuance to everybody's decisions. And it's unfair of me to just throw cast the aspersions on both of these men, but it's very clear that George Lucas is like fucking make money, dude. And if you've seen any of the, any of the sort of behind the scenes, star Wars documentaries, you know, that people know that George Lucas knows how to make money, but there is this artistic integrity aspect of it that I don't think he ever, established there's no there's no auteur aspect to it and this sounds so douchey of me because it may i sound like film twitter which is one of the worst twitters um where i'm just like you know he's not really an auteur um you know it's the it's that aspect where when scorsese's like yeah marvel that's not cinema and everyone and it's like no he's right like these are money making and good for them but like, let's not pretend that they're making Citizen Kane here. Like, that's not what this is. They're selling toys. You know, make make eight hundred million. Let's, let, let's get into the no. Here's here's where this one gets funny because it's almost like George Lucas is at odds with himself for a very weird reason. Mm-hmm. So 
in the first movie, very rote, rips off a child's fairy tale. Star Wars well-received, whether you like it or not, because you could make arguments, you know, like the first Star Wars movie, episode four, parts of it were campy and whatever, but net result, financial success for George Lucas. ABC comes back to him and pitches him two things. One, they're like, would you like to make a live action TV show out of this? And he turns it down. And he basically says, I'm going to do cartoons. That might have been okay, honestly, the live action. And I, I kind better. of feel that's a better that was a better decision, in my opinion. Okay. So you're going to respect George. I feel bad um because I listened to a lot of Eric Walker, who has done a lot. Eric Walker uh was Mace in the first movie, and he briefly shows up. He dies really early in the beginning. We're gonna talk, has talked a lot about this. And you know, kind of the rough part is he was cast as the lead in the first Ewok movie, killed off unceremoniously in the second. At one point, ABC is dangling a live action regular show, essentially with him as one of the leads. Well, because he's so, the pseudo, he's the he's the pseudo Skywalker. He's clearly they just he's got a new Luke. And so you all the feels in the world for for what ends up happening. Because you could argue that George really even tanked this in the time because the first movie ends with this entire family being rescued. You know, the, the parents being rescued from this big monster, the kids befriending the Ewoks. The Ewoks also help out the kids because like Sindel gets sick and they they cure her um with you know medicine they know from trees so the first movie is like this family is reunited and they're they're trapped on endor with the ewoks you can just rip off lost in space right yeah this real family. alien three energy here never saw although heard anyway. so so the start of alien three is after you've seen aliens right i haven't seen any of them but i played metroid i'm playing a lot of metroid anyway it's in the 70s man okay aliens the james cameron film yeah, I'm aware of both of like them. Like I know, I know all about. What's What's rough is like with a lot of things. Like I'll know a lot about. I've read a lot about. I've just never decided can to you, sit down. Can and you watch do it. me a favor and watch Aliens? Can um, you do me that favor, like please? I'm gonna I'm gonna add it to the list. I'm gonna add it to a Warrior of great films. You tell it's, me to watch. Aliens is, Aliens I'm, is essentially like I put it with RoboCop. It's it is essentially it's Cameron's basically it's Cameron's follow up. I'm I'm aware. I know how good it is. And okay. Oddly enough, I can quote a ton of it. So yeah. Anyway. It's a Vietnam film take, that takes place in science fiction. But so at the end, you have uh, certain people survive, right? But the studio is now like, mm, we think we want Ripley to be alone again. So they just kind of kill them during the opening credits for, in, a, in a specific way in Alien 3. Spoiler alert. Um, I'm not going to say spoiler alert for a 30-year-old beginning of a film based off of a nearly 40-year-old other film. It's fine. Uh, but so what happens is you have these characters, this, you know, they have this great ethos and, and, and it's great. And the interactions are fantastic. Great. We got this. We're moving on. Alien three happens and they're like, ah, and they just kill them all immediately. And here's so, the major yeah. difference of importance though. Right. So alien, all three of those are supposed to be, you know, combination, scary action movies. The first one was really marketed as a family movie. The, the first second, alien? The, yes, the first Alien, Jeff. No, the first Ewok movie, sorry. The first Alien movie and first Ewok movie, both family classics. The second one is such a departure that when ABC comes back, they actually put warnings in front of it and it doesn't get the same reach. So there's the irony is ABC is like, George Lucas, you've done it. I know you hate that fact, Jeff, but they're like, you've done it. 60 million people watch it. They love it. It's award winning. Again, it's return it. on investment. Good for them. And he's make just it like, good. It just means that it made money. Yes. But anyway, George Lucas comes back and is like, how about I do it just as crappily as the first one, but with none of the broad appeal that made you money? Well, this is a cartoon. 
This is a cartoon that they made live action. Yes, but as a cartoon that they made live action, it starts with the entire family. So here's the funny thing. We talk about George Lucas's kids' influence. So in the first movie, spoiler, the warrior at the end of the movie gets killed heroically, and he gives his axe to Mace, and Mace uses his axe to kill the big monster. It's a very touching scene. Feel for you. George Lucas's kid was like, I don't like Ewoks dying. So the first movie has to start with these marauders in a big battle with the Ewoks with stakes and the Ewoks aren't allowed to die. We don't know that they're not allowed to die. Okay. Yeah. When we're watching, but I'm saying for, yeah, us watching new, it's like the Ewoks aren't allowed to die. The only other characters you have at the moment are these four people and one of them has to be the lead. So they just kill off the three, three primary characters. And in fact, here's what gets hilarious. The parents in the first Ewok movie are played, um, I'm forgetting, one is the mother uh, on Lost. She's a major character on Lost, which is awesome. So the female mother lead is in that. I forget the male lead. They replace the male father in Ewoks the second with the principal from The Breakfast Club. Yeah, it's fucking Vernon, yeah. They bring in Vernon from The Breakfast Club just to, just to shoot him sort of off camera. Yes. And the um, mom, even I, I don't, I think they say they brought her back, but we don't even see her. It's just the body and the thing. So, oh, the mom's, yeah, she's, she's face down, ass up next to her son, and he drags her into a hut that explodes. Yeah. And he gets to come back briefly, and they actually felt really bad. Like he didn't know until a week before filming that he was going to die immediately. And the directors were like, the directors also pitched a writing this to George Lucas, which is what makes it nuts. They, they tried to pitch a family adventure to George Lucas. And he said, I want Heidi and I, because of his daughter, and I want it dark. And the only theory I have, and like I've seen this with both Spielberg and Lucas, is like they had both gone through a divorce recently. And like Spielberg with Temple of Doom and George Lucas with this just feel like angry and are taking it out in their films. I mean, in a way, yeah. I think George, there is that aspect to it, of course, but I think George always wants to be taken seriously even though he also knows he's doing ridiculous stuff now the, if you look at the 80s too and this is something important because yes heidi is a big point to that but we can't we can't ignore the 80s trope of punky brewster and webster and different strokes which is small orphan older man or older family yeah that was like families were just collecting orphans back in the day um and so you do have this th this aspect of like, all right, we need to do that. The problem was there was a attitude and actual personality to the children. The children were good. Like they were funny and then the older people were the straight man and that's why it worked so well, right? In this, it's more of like she's a little puppy and that it doesn't work. Because there's nothing to, you can pity this child. Like that's, it's like she's cute and she's pitiable. But there's no actual, there's nothing behind her, which is the yeah, problem. The wolf, they don't the give wolf, her anything. But I mean, but all I'm throwing out there is that this movie starts on a very weird foot because George Lucas wanting a bunch of contrasting things. And then to your point, missing kind of what makes the other parts right is like okay well if you're going for a heidi the reason heidi works is you've got one of the greatest child actresses ever and and you know yeah i just dropped her name shirley temple there we go there you go and you know the dynamic is very good and we we're, we're not going to get that here and part of why we're not going to get that here is also george lucas wants us to be dark and action oriented so instead of focusing the movie on 
this child and grandpa character interaction, which we get a little of and doesn't make a lot of sense, by the way. Instead of that, we get like random Wilford Brimley as an action star, which we needed, Jeff. We needed Wilford Brimley as boy, an action star. We, boy, we needed this, Jeff. We needed boy, this. Boy, is it Wilford Brimley as an action star where it's clearly Wilford Brimley's stunt double as an action star. Wait, that wasn't you don't think he did his own stunts? Jeff? You're, you're blowing my mind here. <laughs> there, it's it's very funny because the he, he has the hermit energy and what we what we find out he's he's actually marooned on the forest moon of Endor. It's important to know, and we didn't say this, and this is my bad. This takes place before before Return of the Jedi. Okay, well, it's also, this gets weird. At one point, this was canon. Officially, it's no longer canon. See canon, they call it, yeah. And even if you put it canon, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Try and just do the two-minute synopsis, then we can decide how much we want to go in depth. Okay. Okay, the Tawani family has been crash-landed on Endor. Everybody crash-lands on Endor, apparently. Um, they're finally repairing their spaceship. The Ewoks that were befriended in the first episode, the kids had to befriend the Ewoks to save the parents are all getting ready to go, except right as they're getting ready to go, a bunch of marauders show up and for whatever, inexplicably kidnap all the Ewoks, kill all the parents. The reason they're doing this is they want to get a, the space power is how they know it because they're very primitive and know from an old schematic that'll get to the end. The spaceship has basically a car battery for lack of a better word. So they get that, but Ewok and Sindel get away because they're tiny, which doesn't even make a lot of sense plot-wise because all the Ewoks are tiny, but let's just go with well, There's it. a raid. He's not as fat as the other Ewoks. They can't that's, get through. Well, because he is a child. I mean, he is a child, yeah. in the movie, but that's their argument. Is One of the funny parts, too, and I, I know you're going through there, and I know we're doing that, but you can clearly see the terrible Ewok costumes made for TV and then the reused Ewok costumes that look great. How and much, see- How much? As, as a Star Wars nerd, just out of curiosity, we'll go off this briefly. How much did you look for reused stuff? Because oh, they Pat, do that. like Pat Blue gets great coverage on that. Like, like when you well, see but also like some of the spaceship stuff is like, I believe the crash spaceship, uh, the Tawani family's crash spaceship, I believe is like a snow speeder. Yeah. Empire. Oh yeah, kind of, of course. But um, it's funny because there, some Ewoks look great. Wicked is not that. If you ever see any of the, the, the memes of Wicket's eyes looking absolutely terrifying, that's from these. Wicket, yeah, there you go. So you're wearing a Wicket shirt right there. I'm wearing my closest to that is a uh, Return of the Jedi Jabba and Leia, but Jabba is actually a pug. All right, that'd be funny. Brought to brought, bought for me by Adam Todd Brown. Shout out to oh, Adam. very nice. Um, now, so like you can see, there are there. It's a mix of bad and then re- reusing Return of the Jedi stuff, and so the Ewoks because there's this raid that they get caught, that Sindel and, and, and Wicked get caught, and they just slip right out because they're tiny. Um, Because that's that's it. The raid, they're raided like, it's very dark crystal podlings yeah. and the Skeksis um, thing, yeah, energy. And there, even yeah. for a plot thing, it doesn't make sense because if they're just there for the spaceship, why would they both wreck the space? Anyway, but like, yeah, yeah, too far. It's fine. Anyway, they get captured. The Ewoks, all the Ewoks except Sindel and Wicked are out of the picture. They're, they're just basically, they don't kind of know what to do. They find shelter in a cave. There's a dragon in the cave. Wicket makes a hand glider. They get away from the dragon. I'll point two points out. This scene was to stretch for time. That's to your point about like, Gee, really? Blocks. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Right. Basically ABC is like, we need this to be, to fit an hour block. Right. Cause it's yeah. made for TV. They get to the end and they're like, Oh shit. Even with all the stuff that happens in this movie, we do not have a long enough movie. And George, this is George Lucas. So much of this is George Lucas is coming back and his, his ideas. He's like, what about a dragon and a hand glider? And they're like sold. So that's they're like, where that's this is the best idea of all time. There's no, 
there's no aspect to it. Now this has real like land of the lost um, stop motion energy to yeah. it. And I was trying to look at um, and and I'm I'm doing this now, so I'm trying to like kill for time, you know. But really looking at like who did they get Phil Tippett to do this? You know, I don't know if they got. I, they might have. I know that they did get a lot of the originals, but I mean, a, a lot of this just is the budget difference. And some of the stuff I right. watched about the behind the scenes, they noted that they had made massive improvements to stop motion for, for instance, Empire and Return of the Jedi. So like, if you look at the Tauntaun, that's stop motion but they're able to make it look organic because they have more time and money. When they get to the, the Ewok movies, they, they can still do stop motion. They still have the technology, but they can't afford it. So yeah, to your point, it's, it's kind of frustrating much, because it's like, yeah. we we know what you can do. We know what the people with this equipment can do. And they're like, yeah, but we didn't let them do that. Yeah, we're not going to do that. Uh, I would also like to add to that. Um, the main piece that comes out of this in continuity is courtesy of Dave Filoni and um, uh, John Favreau. Because they re they bring back something from this movie in the Mandalorian. Do you know what? What is it? The blurgs. What are blurg? Okay, so what's the, the mounts? Blurg? The 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 oh the thing that monster the, the looking are... mounts. That's when he's learning. Remember how he's riding one? Um, huh. Where the, yeah. the where Nick Nolte? He's like a blurg trainer. That's awesome. Blurgs are blurgs are in continuity. It's really the only thing about this that is in continuity. Sort of like how they reused, you know, Wilro Hood and the ice cream maker from uh, Cloud City when he's running with the ice cream maker. And they brought those back in with the Mandalorian to be like, well, these are safes. These are portable safes. Oh, that's awesome. So anyway, they so there's a dragon scene that is just god awful. It is. It is terrible. And it was added after the fact and directed by George Lucas for what it's for what it's worth. All right. So they escaped the dragon, though. This is a classic 80s trope that's worth noting that like I've seen physics teachers love is whenever you see someone fall in a movie, they're dead, right? Because it's always played for time when someone's falling in a movie, the dragon drop, grabs Sindel and then drops her and then Wicket comes down with his hand glider and saves her. She would have died. If you just do yeah, like simple math, like the gravity would have would have killed her. But that, the that's barest fine. amount of physics would have made it so Wicket, first off, wouldn't catch the dragon in the hang glider. Because he catches it so he can drop a rock on it. Yeah. He drops the rock on it and it instinctively drops Sindel because of course it does. And he's like, oh shit. Like, what did you think was going to happen there, Wicket? But anyway. Let's, let's let's give some fairness. Wicket is a child. It's fair enough. I, I he's I think of him as more of a teen than a child, but that's fine. Um, but yeah, and then he like dive bombs to save her, and then they crash. Everybody dies in this except the dragon. But in somehow they make it. All right. So anyway. They randomly run into a super fast mouse named Teak, who is awesome. This is one of those. Oh, oh really? Okay. So, so Jeff, this is one of those things where and you've mentioned you'll have things from your childhood, like a commercial or movie that you just remember and you quote. Mm -hmm. So you and your brother, you said, would do like pee bags and stuff from the Zelda commercials. At one point in this movie, Teak goes, no. All right. So anyway, at one point in this movie, Teak just goes like, rawr, rawr, like that. That is something I quoted my entire life that just has stuck with me from childhood. And like, of course, no one else knows what I'm talking about. So I've like, I've shown my wife that scene in the movie to be like, this is where I got it. And she's like, ah, it's hilarious. Anyway. Yeah. He has this, the ears of, I forget what the breed of dog is, but they have like the pointy ears with the little hairs that come out. He has like, he's clearly designed after that. This thing, this thing sucks so hard. And do you want to know uh, fun behind the scenes? It was originally supposed to be a puppet or yeah, like a, an actual puppet. 
and it looks too bad as a puppet. And they found out that the puppet costume was roughly the same size as one of the actresses. So then they 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 transitioned it from a puppet to an Ewok costume, which you already noted. The mm-hmm. Ewok costume costumes made specifically for these movies are far far inferior to those used yeah. in Return of the Jedi. Yeah, this thing looks like a mutated Ewok that has the powers of the Flash, which is true. Yep. For some reason, it just just can run fast. Um, and its its whole point is to be like the mischief aspect. Um, but meanwhile. Wicket Wicket was that in Return of the Jedi. So now Wicket is the straight Wicket's the straight man and he's not supposed to be. Um it's also important to note and there are different theories on this but Wicket speaks English or excuse me Wicket speaks basic. Um in that regard they can communicate with each oh, other. I know the theory on this theory. But the other theory of that is a theory that you see oftentimes in many films which is it is it is in English, basic, for those that are watching to understand. But in reality, that they are most likely speaking the native language of the indigenous people. That would be the the Ewoks. So that they they're all technically speaking in the Ewok language, but we're seeing it coming out as English because we're the people observing. Or, or the humans, or the Tawanis can be from some subset, right? We don't know. If they're, you know, they speak basic proper, like on Coruscant or from somewhere else. That's the, that's the Ewoks is that no, because then so the Ewoks Wicket... speak Ewok, the Ewoks speak Ewok, the Tawani. So that's Mason Sindel speak mm-hmm. a variant of English that is not basic. And then, so when it, Wicket comes, that's it a, would be like if, if Wicket learned stretch. French, yeah. because Wicket learned French and then someone showed up and spoke English, although Wicket would still, yeah, th- th- yeah because does Wicket not sense doesn't in talk. He doesn't understand anything that. Leia says when they meet at all. And even if someone was speaking French to you, you might be able to pick out a couple things, yeah. um, a couple similarities. And he just And Leia as a diplomat would have had other lines. I mean, it yeah, this is one one thing I love about this movie because it's a common theme on this show, is about nostalgia and people lying to themselves about their childhood and the properties that they love. And that's the key. This came out right after Return of the Jedi. Yeah. This came out as a wide production on ABC. This came out with George Lucas with his hands on all of the dials. Mm-hmm. There is no excuse for any fan that in the future is like, oh my God, Return of the or, uh, Rise of Skywalker ruined continuity, or this doesn't make any sense, or don't don't they yeah. realize that in this movie Obi Wan had this kind of lightsaber and George Lucas is destroying my childhood because he for you know how is our how would R two D two not remember yeah. that? It's like George Lucas did this less than a year after the ink was dry on Return of the Jedi. It's also important to know that George Lucas already ruined Star Wars. Like, and as much as we make the joke, like he can't ruin something that's his or whatever, like the prequels already unraveled a lot of the but stuff. But I'm not even going for the prequels. I'm going 84 because yeah. that's what people are saying. They're like, oh, by the prequels, he was too successful and had too, because Star Wars had grown by that point, yeah. right? It's like, oh, by that point, he couldn't live up to the hype. And I'm like, I'm like, no, 84, like 80, yeah. the, the year after. I'm like, there is no nostalgic argument. There is no director in the future. It's like Rian Johnson, Ryan Johnson, however you say it, last, uh, last Sunday was awesome, but there is nothing he can do that is like as bad to the Star Wars canon as the Ewok movies. Oh, The Last Jedi I love because it's a, such a middle finger to the worst kind of fans. So I loved every aspect of it. Okay. And I said Rise of Skywalker incorrectly. That, everybody agrees it's terrible, but I, I had fun because I was in the theater. But anyway, You know what's funny? I've seen Rise of Skywalker once. And I'm like, I'm good. So so there's a couple of aspects about this, which are 
clearly like the groundwork for Willow. Like that's what a... has been said in a lot of the comments. Okay, here. yeah. This this is sort of like when PlayStation 2 came out, they released a video game. There was a video game that was released called The Bouncer. And the bouncer was just them saying, here's what Final Fantasy X is going to look like. Like they they showed you a preview kind of of like, here's the engine that we're working with. Here's a version of it. like we can give you this while you're waiting for this project that's taking forever. That is sort of the energy. Now, granted, people weren't waiting for Willow. Um, but when you look at it, it's like Warwick Davis. Do you have a stop motion dragon? Absolutely. Do you have an evil sorceress? Absolutely. Do you have medieval castles in places where they don't even necessarily belong? Absolutely. And that really, yeah. oof, boy. Yeah, because there are medieval castles. Important to um, important to note that Endor has castles. Endor has, ca I mean, or excuse I, me, I, the forest moon of Endor. I'll, and, and if you watch the, the Ewok cartoon, their theme song sure as hell wants you to know it's the forest moon of Endor, Jeff. Because yep. everybody's on cartoon. the forest moon. E, 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 walks. What a lazy theme song, by the way. I never saw the show song. and I could not like, that's the thing. When I was doing research for this, I was like, I was like, let's take a look. And then of course, like Wicket's voice when it comes like, I was like, nope, I'm out. I, I, I ditched that show pretty. But um, I mean, a common point you could make is like Endor between these two movies seems horrendous. And like, how would the emperor have ever decided to go there? Did they do any research? And what I'll say is that's not even a plot hole, is that big companies making short-sighted decisions. I mean, that would be the argument around the Star Wars thing. So that, that's when, when you get kind of the cinema sense, people are like, oh, how did they not know there was a castle on this moon? It's like, yeah, big company just randomly deciding to put a factory in a place that has no place having a factory. That happens in the real world all the time. That's not a plot hole. And it's actually in character with what we've yeah. seen of the Empire and the Star yeah, the, Wars. Universe. The real answer is the Empire doesn't care. If you're in their way, they're just going to plow you over. I do that's not... I do not expect that castle to have lasted through Return of the Jedi. By the way, I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. assume that it was raised by the Empire. They, but... the The Empire probably showed up, thought the Marauders were the threat, took out the Marauders, made their thing, didn't realize the Ewoks were the threat. The Ewoks are laying low because they've been attacked by a giant and Marauders now. And then, of course, when a C-3PO God shows up, they come back. Manu, I will I will add uh, by the way that um, depending on what canon you subscribe to the Death Star's explosion would have absolutely destroyed every, all life on Endor. Um, but beyond that too, they, they did, they, they talked about how they created a, um, a deflector shield that the, the, the rebellion put a deflector shield up over, um, the, uh, over the forest moon. And they, they had like this way to like remove the debris. No, the Ewoks would have been absolutely decimated I, I enjoyed that in the beginning of the Heidi scene where they're dancing through the fields and Sindel's like I'm gonna leave but don't worry I'll come back and visit you and I'm like nah he's dead I'm like she you're comes all dead. back I would love to see her just come back and be like oh shit all of my friends are dead they should have done that in the in the uh the rise of Skywalker which was so amazing or they should have just had like Sindel's there like oh what are you doing here and they're mm -hmm. like oh we're, we're here for this you know random random Death Star thing because the Emperor hit a a map to his home planet here like what about you? Like oh yeah, I used to have an Ewok friend here when I was fighting like a wizard. She's like, what are you talking about? Wait, I'm sorry. <laughs> that that scene needs to be there. That would have been funny. Okay, so they find an abandoned house because they're chill. Like that that the one defense you can give Ewok, uh, Wicket and Sindel in this movie is like they're kids and they're idiots. Yeah, because they come to this fully furnished house that they've been led to by a creature 
And they're like, nobody's home. Ah, must be empty. We'll just live here. To be fair, that's something that happened a lot of times when people were traveling in, in the wilderness. You'd come up across an abandoned house. Like that happens a lot. All right. So or happened. Excuse me. There were people on, on the frontier. They would you they would use houses and move on. They would uh die while they were on the hunt. Uh a lot of there are a lot of abandoned houses. Like that that I accept that. That is of the things that I'm crossing my arms at and looking at, that is not one of them because I do recognize that you know a lot there's a lot of abandoned domiciles throughout history all right so well good good to know that that like fits in historical and realistically in the... he was probably killed by those monsters like if you're if you're really thinking about it he was probably killed by that the group of uh the marauders the dragons yeah. possibly even the ewoks who knows yeah. also i mean it's worth noting we've also learned in these movies in the first ewoks movie there is a pond that you can fall in and if you don't have a magic stick, you just die. Like you drown because it's like a mirror pond. Like if you touch it, you end up underneath it and you can't break through unless someone has a magic stick to get you out. That happens in Ewok's Caravan of Courage, but that is a scene in that movie. Yeah. And in this one, there is just a black pond that With apparently Wicked, who's grown piranhas, up here, is not yeah. aware of, is just like, I don't know, does it have piranhas? Is it supposed to be acidic or have piranhas in it? What's the... Well, it seems... No, there's, it's not acidic. It's, there's something in there. Because a bunch of the marauders get eaten and you can see the yeah. bubbles moving towards them. So it's clearly not, it's not like smart acid. It's clearly there's some kind of serpent, piranha, whatever you want to say, is under yeah. that black water. So there's uh, so many, so many ways to die on the forest moon of Endor. Yeah. That so, should be in the theme song as well. So the part you're discussing now is essentially the Heidi part, which is... There's an extended part where she is trying to get this guy to warm up after he kicks them out, eats their food. Well, he, they, they show up. They, they're cooking in his house. He comes home. He gets in. You're, you're noting doing the sketch comedy version of himself. Yeah, what are you doing here? Do, do you want a funny behind the scenes story? I don't know how true it is, but Eric Walker said this on a podcast. Apparently, Wilford Brimley hated the director so much he punched one of them. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. So he's even more awesome. But Wilford no, Brimley. Wilford Brimley. Shows up, sees these kids in his home, and is like, what are you doing here? Get out, yells. Yeah. And then they've made some food that he starts eating with teak. And apparently at some point, like, they're never going to explain this or discuss it. Like, at some point in his time on the forest moon of Endor, I'm going to keep saying that, Jeff. It's too much fun. Wilford Brimley just befriended a, a, a rat with super speed. They never talk about it. It's, like, very Chewbacca-ish, but, like, but doesn't even make but sense. In way bad. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like if Chewbacca was a burden instead of Chewbacca is a giant, powerful mechanic slash pilot. Like Chewbacca's literally the best friend you could have. And when you look at this thing, you're like, oh, this is the worst. He's just running around like an asshole. Give and well, regardless, he takes the food, starts eating it, and he's like, take all the rolls you want, but don't give any to them. It seemed cool. very obvious where he's telling Teat, go feed the kids. Yeah. And I mean, that to, to your point of like the change of heart, one of the reasons this fails is so much of the, the, the movie is spent on marauders and dragons that if you're really going for the height. And Heidi, Raven Lady. And Raven. Oh, we're going to talk Raven Lady soon. If, if you're supposed to be doing a character, a, a family movie, which is supposed to be entirely about the character development between 
a pernicious young child and an old man with, you know, a cold heart. We don't get any of that. It just all happens immediately. He tells him, go away. And immediately he's like, go feed him. Then he goes out and Wicket's trying to start a fire. And he's like, you could burn down the forest. But it also seems more like he's just saying, using that as an excuse. So he tells Teak to feed the kids. Teak goes and feeds them. Wicket and Sindel start making a fire. Wilford Brimley shows up and says, you can't make a fire out here. It's not safe. You're trying to, to burn the, the whole forest down. Awesome. Um, yeah. yeah very like, Here's what I will say. This is not done as badly, I think, as you're implying, uh, in my opinion, because it's not fully the way that he delivers the lines. It's not fully obvious that he wants him to not give him the food, you know, like not at the beginning. Like, clearly, we all know that's where it's going. But By the third time it is. I mean, he does do very much. Well, like, sure. Because it once repeats, it repeats. It. But it's softening up. And you're like, oh, he wants him not. He doesn't want him to burn down his place. So he just gives him the night and tells him they're going to leave. And then later he builds them a bed. And he's like, ah, I made you a bed. Pick which one you want. Kind of a thing. Like, it's. It's clearly sitcom-y, but that's because it is. But it, yeah, it it is more gradual than it seems, but also it moves really fast. Yeah. Okay. So I, yeah, I mean, obviously, doing a recap, I'm going super fast yeah. and having just watched it and as an adult. But to that point, the whole warming up does not take too much time. Which is, he he lets Teat give them some food. He tells them they can stay the night so that they don't burn down the forest. The next morning, he leaves. He has like a job. We, we'll discover, and I'll just ruin it now. That he has a spaceship that he is, you know, trying to repair or maybe get a signal out. He's got a down star, um, star cruiser that is basically just missing a crystal in the middle that powers it. And so during the day, he goes to that and does, you know, we could we could imagine any number of things because it does have power. So he could be sending out signals. He could be trying to determine anything. He does that during the day, but he leaves Wicked. He's a scout over. for the Empire. Oh, that'd be oh, that would be an even cooler. That would be a fun end if when they leave, he's like. All right, well, we're heading out. He's like, well, you know, I just got one stop to make before we leave. Spoilers, by the way, they get off the planet in the end. If you just go, spoilers, got one more, you know, yeah. one more stop to make. My, I had a contracting job. I got to drop some schematics of this planet to uh, this guy named Palpatine. That would be cool. I would also like to add, by the way, that in this, he's like, me and my friend, me and my, me and my co-pilot. And you're just like, oh, this guy's dead, huh? And then you just assume whatever and then later they're like that's the guy right there there's his bones and you're like that didn't seem necessary but okay well see the dialogue's not great here's the the easy defense of child actors in general is it, it's really hard to be a good child actor for a variety of reasons one of them is they're not allowed to work as long the reason that twins are really popular like mary kate and ashley olsen is you you get double hours you could you're you you you, you can do like yeah. one kid scene for four hours in the morning in the afternoon as i mentioned Sindel, the actress who played her, could not read. So the direction was to have someone tell her the lines ahead of time. So it's like she's not even emoting or thinking. She's she repeating, is repeating yeah. what somebody else said. And then additionally, we mentioned television budget as well as limited hours. You're not getting multiple takes. So essentially, you're like, did she repeat the lines I just told her? It's we are weird good. they didn't get twins. I don't Okay, again, all of but the, George Lucas made so many decisions behind this, and they're all arbitrary. Um, one of the fun behind the scenes facts is one of the directors got him three custom made stamps that said "Great, could be better, eighty six. Yeah, and they, he said George Lucas just loved these because they 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 turn in a script and George Lucas would just stamp them like a child. Yeah. So George Lucas was calling all of the shots, and again, at no point does it seem like anybody had enough sway to just be like. This girl looks like, because he did want someone that looked like Shirley Temple. It's like, this young girl does look like Shirley Temple, and someday she could be a great actress. 
if you're trying to make this, if you're trying to make a trilogy, which was the original plan of movies at a one a year pace, that is going to be too much time for her to learn, find a different actress. But George Lucas just, I mean, George Lucas, who also picked Jake Lloyd is like, no, that's, that's our guy. It's funny how much she looks like Drew Barrymore. I, like, I would agree with that. Yeah. Like, especially at that time, because we're looking at what, two years post ET, right? So it's, it's entirely possible we did the same thing. He saw ET like, yeah. like that was a great kid. Um, so, so like when we see that though, and, and yeah, cause you see like the kid that they book is, is a faux Mark Hamill, uh, for this. And then, you know, this kid is, is, and I referred to her as the Kirkland brand, Drew Barrymore, Drew Barrymore yeah. but not to her fault. Cause again, she's like four and you can't expect a good actor to be four and that good except drew barrymore was four and she was that good and then of course like elliot on et as well with the you know that that's a yeah. famous scene as well when steven spielberg is like watching the scene is like i all of them there are like what the fuck is this like yeah you got the part kid yeah 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 that that so, the, the audition the audition he does and, and spielberg's just like you got the part kid like you got it um but, but yeah so, so noah goes out the next day um, to do his work, which we discover later as he's going to a Starcraft, doing something, you know, whatever. Um, he comes back and thinks that Sindel and, e and I keep wanting to call Wicked Ewok, but Sindel and <laughs> Wicked have left and is like, ah, who needs them? And then tell, he does tell Teak. He doesn't lie about it. He says, I made them two beds in case they stuck around, but since they're leaving, you can have a better bed, Teak. And then they come back in and say, we're going to make a pie. And his his heart is melted. It's done. It took It took one day, Jeff. Yep. But to be fair, he's like, stranded on a moon on, on a crazy dangerous moon that he recognizes he understands better than wicked how dangerous this moon is when he when he goes out in one of the most hilarious action scenes later we'll get that in a second he's like oh, yeah. actioning up and he's like clipping carabiners and you're like was all right clearly a survivalist yeah and then he knows like to watch out he'll like tap things with his stick ahead of time he is well aware of how dangerous so it makes sense that he There's would be initially very angry and persnickety and maybe you just want he's like oh my god another human thank god you could it it wouldn't be hard to see him from a timeline perspective now you could retcon that character as a pre-clone republic commando it, it makes sense uh being a republic commando when the clones came out you are forcibly retired right like at that point yeah, in time, so. like, you know, you're there. They were forcibly retired because they needed. So you're them. not going to do a history podcast, but you'll do a Star Wars history but podcast. I'll do I a Star this Wars. This is awesome. But from the timeline. Okay. So think about the timeline, right? So, so between the clone army and the clone wars and when this would have been shot, it's going to be about 20 to 25 years, right? Which would bring him back to be about 20 to 25 years at his age. He's about 60 in that maybe, uh, maybe even younger. Um, so you're looking at like 35 or something. So sort of if you're a soldier, that's going to be towards the end of that part of the career, right? But he's clearly not going to so. be an officer. The clones come in. They make the Clone Wars. This is on Palpatine's move. Palpatine absolutely needs the military to be clones, primarily because of Order 66. When Order 66 comes in, you need to have full obedience, you can't do that with pre-clone commandos. You just can't have full obedience. It's not how it works. Uh, we've we've all seen a Vietnam movie. We know that shit happens, right? So then he would get released, fired, you know, uh, given a discharge, what, however you'd want to say it. He then has to exist 
on the fringes of Republic society or, you know, probably had a good retirement, went over here, become stranded. But he would have all that training. Like yeah, he would sense. have survivalist training. I, he could have been stationed on Kashyyyk. I absolutely love your backstory for for Noah in this. This is this is amazing. I'm By the way, I, I literally out. just came up with that backstory. Like that's not something that I was thinking. So, so when Jeff's I went there, saying but... that, but to people that are only listening to the audio medium, there is a whiteboard behind Jeff with all sorts of drawings, like yarn, and writings, and, yeah. and timelines. I mean, yeah. he's saying he just came up with it. I'll believe him, but I'm just I'm just noting that's in your background. But as it clicks, okay, so... yeah, that does make sense to me that he could very well have been a former Republic commando pre clones. And it gives a lot because later we're going to see him fight a monster. Now, what ends up happening, we kind of mentioned this, and I, f- I actually forgot to bring this up when it happens. There is a sorceress with the Marauders who can turn into a raven because of a magical ring. And she's like a mercenary for them. Or she's like a, the, or she's like their, it's hard to explain what she is because she's treated like, like she's either been hired by them or enslaved by them. The backstory, which again, you know, of course go for the sea canon Star Wars backstory is that she was a dark sister, which is like a force-using sect of, you know, witches, essentially, that was cast out. She stole the ring, which is a relic of theirs. She wound up with the Marauders while trying to escape. The Marauders crash-landed. That doesn't make a lot of sense either because they seem baffled by how a starship works. Yeah. Um, so, but whatever. But that this is someone, again, that, what happens with Star Wars so much is George Lucas comes up, he's like, I would really like a planet full of teddy bears. And the writers are like, all right, well, I guess we'll make, well, that's work. after the fact, yeah. Because he, he goes, really oh, yeah, said, I want a planet full of Wookiees. Yeah. And then he went, wait, well, to your point, the, the belief is George Lucas knowing money-making went, oh, wait, teddy bears would be a much better to- toy to sell. It, it was just a costuming budget. I could buy it being both. I could buy it being both, hey, it's cheaper if we do these as teddy bears. And two, hey, we got teddy bears. That'll sell as toys. It, it was so, literally him just saying it's it would be too expensive to make them Wookiees. Let's just make yeah. them. I mean, that's yeah. they've that's a famously... Uh, a famous story in that is it's Ewoks because Wookiees would have been too much of a pain in the ass to do. And then the belief, right, is uh, they're called Ewoks because that's Wookiee. Wookie, yeah. E move, yeah. But yeah, so, you're right. The, the the amount of merchandising opportunities you have there, yeah, it's a lot easier to hug a a, a chubby Ewok than a, a lanky seven foot tall Sasquatch. And And then, but to the same point, so we've got, you know, we're saying all this. So she, the, the belief is there's this witch that's working with this set of marauders. This marauder is led by Lurch from the Adams family. That is true. Sure is. Um, and apparently, like to your point, she's like a second in command. This is a very Darth Vader relationship where she is, she has control of all of them. But if she ticks off the lead guy, she gets in trouble. I believe his name is Turek, Turek, something like that. Turek, and, yeah. Turek. And he basically tells her she has to go find the child because she's trying to, he's like, this battery is super powerful. The way he knows this is Noah's friend that we just mentioned that went off to the forest and went missing. Their spaceship crashed on the forest moon of Endor. Noah and his friend are there. His friend's like, I'm going to go out and see if I can find anything to help. He never comes back. Noah, I like it as like a space commander's like, he's just dead. Like he's he, like when, when Sindel asked about it, he's like, no, he's dead. He's like, he's dead. I'm not, I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. Guy's dead. But he found the Marauders and is like, hey, look, I have a space spaceship. And it just needs this power. And he gives them like a blueprint of, or a diagram, something of what the spaceship needs to power. And so their belief is, oh, you have the power of the stars. We can get to the stars with this if we get it. Tell us how to make it. And he's like, I can't. I'm asking you for help. And instead of letting him go, they chain him to the wall and let him die. Well, they go search for it themselves. 
they found it. But the point is, you know, this would be very much if you dropped into medieval times and gave them like a combustion engine without any gasoline in it, <laughs> they wouldn't be, you know, it, it's the most powerful and revolutionary thing they've ever seen. They wouldn't be able to do anything. That's what's happened. They've got this witch here who's going, I can't do it. I can't make this battery work. I don't understand how it works. Yeah. And I'm says, not, okay. I'm a witch. I'm not a mechanic. Exactly. And so he says, go find the child. So because she can turn into a raven because of this ring she has that we, we have seen once in the movie, she flies and eventually does find the, I'm assuming because like the, the smoke, right? Does she see the smoke coming out of the, the cabin and is able to track down the cabin instead yeah. of, instead of for whatever reason, going back to the marauders and saying they're here, come get them. She uses her powers of illusion to appear as a, you know, like princess looking woman on a white horse singing a song that she heard Sindel singing. So like Noah is trying, it's again, warms up in one day, tells them that his friend is dead and is like, well, your parents might be dead, but they'll live on in your heart. Is there anything you remember? And Sindel's like, yeah, she used to sing this song. And she sings the song. Yeah. Oh, you, Jeff, you can tell, love the song. It's amazing. Uh, It's beautiful. I'm like, don't lie to her. Will for Brimley. She did terrible. Do not fill her. She can do things well, but don't say she's a good singer because she's not. And then she's going to end up getting embarrassed on Endor Idol by some some prick Ewok in a black T-shirt. Being like, that was absolutely dreadful. Nub nub. Don't fill her with lies. That's I mean, going to be an just... Chihuahua from me, dog. You know. So anyway, she sings this song um, that the sorceress hears, and yeah, she, she uses that. It's just like an Arthurian. She's like an Arthurian princess or fairy or something. Yeah, who even knows? I mean, I I didn't bring this up in the original notes when I watched the first movie. I noted just how many normal animals are on Endor. The first movie starts with a goat um, biting the rope to Deja's hang glider. Yeah, and then when they go back, they have horses, and then for whatever reason, when they're playing with Sindel, they have a ferret, and this sorceress turns into a raven. Like Endor just has a lot of, and then at one point, so does Dagobah. Dagobah has snakes and you know Gila monsters and shit. Yeah, it just yeah. happens. It's, I'm just you know it's all the same. And then Sindel even calls it a horse, so is is what it is. <laughs> but anyway, so Sindel, the next day, just hears this melodic singing, which is the song she sang the night before. The sorceress uses the trapper, reveals she's the sorceress, and takes her back to the Marauders, and then. Wicket realizes she's. And by the way, rides back. away on a horse that clearly just has a little doll draped over the side of it. It's so funny. Jeff, Jeff is not going to let the special. Like I think, as soon as I told you this won an award, you were like, "I'm not going to let any bad special effect go in this movie." It's it's fine. It's not, but it's fine. I can't get mad at something that's almost forty years old. But God, this thing's and, and yet and yet we. <laughs> If you did not, we, we are seeing a very easy case study. If you're someone like me that grew up with this, whose brother, my brother told his girlfriend to buy me an Ewok shirt, which I am wearing a wicked shirt for this show. This hmm. bobblehead is a gift from my brother. When I was younger, I, you know, really liked this. And my brother and I would quote it back and forth to each other. If you grew up with this, you have a fondness for it. If you, if you're seeing it for the first time, you're like, what the hell is this? Rightfully so. Yeah, so anyway, it's bad. And I, I'm not anti Ewok, but I'm anti this movie. And I'm I'm actually I'm not anti Ewok. I'm anti this writing, this directing. Uh, and again, it's made for TV special effects, and I get that. And and again, the we got you know stop motion, and and it it, it is what it is. 
you know, it's fine. Sure, it might have been great at that time. Okay. I'm just mad that George Lucas is so known for special effects that he allowed his name to be on something that doesn't look good. Yeah, and I, but I mean, this is also like we we we. This is a running theme. This was very much like the He Man and She Christmas special. We're like, when you have something on a deadline that just needs to get out, and you're not caring, this you get stuff like this, which is why when we see stuff like Muppet Family Christmas, it's so amazing because it's like, oh, these people cared about the craft and put in the time to do it right. And these other people are like, ah, fuck it, throwing a stop motion dragon randomly here because we're short for ten minutes, as opposed to have Wilford Brimley say another line or something. Yeah. They get back to, as you mentioned, the medieval castle, which the Marauders are at. And Tarok is trying to get Sindel to tell him how it works. And of course, like any of us, it would be like if someone showed you a car battery and is like, Jeff, make show me the magic. And you're like, it's a car battery, dude. Like, put it in a car. The car goes. What? Like, what are you looking for? So she is responding correctly. And then Tarok gets so angry, he now throws both Sindel and the sorceress in prison because he can't get the power. He takes her ring. Just, Yep, and takes the ring because he's he's not he's not he he is a smart leader for the most part. Yeah, he's the, he he's kind of the prototype of um Saris from Galaxy Quest from a visual and leadership perspective. Yeah. I would add um that this actor who was Lurch, his name's Carol Striken, I believe, uh, still alive, which is very rare because he's he's almost seventy. Are you just talking height wise? Because he is a giant, right? Yeah, he's huge. He he's not small. He was born in 1948. And then he also, you know, most infamously or most not infamously, most famously was in Twin Peaks. Just the, you know, that's how most famously in Adam's family, but that's fine. You you think Adam's well, Yes. Yeah, probably probably yes. wide, wider route. He's okay. also in Men in Black. Yeah. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. no. Adam's family is what he's known for. Is that's his big thing. All right, I'll give it. He's still making stuff, by the way. He made he was in something in there. There is a why. There is a broad range of the actors in this movie with with where their careers ended up. So, oh yeah, I mean, like Tony Cox. Would you say biggest Bad Santa? Like, am, am I right in that? Or- uh yeah, I would say that. Uh, I would say Bad Santa, and he was also so funny in Me Myself and Irene. Yeah, so he's he's in that. He's great. Um, there's a variety. Yeah, some actors. You know, obviously Warwick Davis is still around. Like. Some of them, you know, this was it, you know, child yeah. actors. It's a rough, this, a rough this dude, I will add that this dude has maintained a lateral career his entire time. They're just like, let's put this giant in some shit and have him walk around grunt and occasionally say a line. So wicked goes back and basically notes that, Hey, uh, Sindel's gone. We got to go save her. And Noah's like, let's do it. I missed a scene, Jeff. I apologize. So there is a we scene. Didn't miss a missed. scene in this. There is a scene where Noah does explain to they they follow him to the spaceship, so he's aware that they have it. He catches Wicket with a trap, so we're aware that the the spaceship is booby trapped, which does come into a play later. They go, How did you get here? He explains it. Then they go home the next night, his heart's warmed. Then Sindel gets captured, then they're gonna go back. We're we're nearing the end of this, Jeff, I yeah. promise. And when he finds out that she's captured, he has the best commando style Rambo lacing up scene. And but all it really is is like a fishing vest that he got and you know yeah. like it, it, it's literally it's got like those like well, those clasps, straps, yeah. the yeah. little the little like plastic clasps the ones that like you have the male end and the female end and you yeah. click it in and i when he did that i just started laughing because it's i understand amazing. that 
you know, there is the joke that like the picture of, you know, um, Daisy Ridley holding a lightsaber and it says, you know, in a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, they used Phillips head screws. LOL. And it's like, well, sure. Like technology would develop in certain areas the same. Like that would happen. So sure. Clasps, fasteners. This specific version of a clasp is such a like backpack ass clasp that I was started laughing my ass off when he did it. And it's like he's trying to like they're trying to make it intimidating that he's gearing up. But all he does is he just puts one blaster in a holster and then the rest is all just really hilarious things. And of course, he's got his walking stick, Jeff. He sure does. Stick is important. It's going to come up. All right. So there's a lot written on the next couple of scenes. I'm not going to go too much into it, but basically Wilford Brimley with Teak and Wicket goes to this castle. They know to go together. He makes sure to tell them to be careful. They sneak into the castle. This pained me so much, Jeff. This was totally the man sheens from the He-Man and She-Ra Christmas special. It was the exact same stupid thing. A bunch Hello, of giant scary monsters. Oh my God. Oh, it was terrible. Because basically you have these super stupid, cute little small things that are imprisoned by this giant monster that have just gotten freed. And they're like, we're here to help. And you're like, I hate this. But there is a bat. And and, and here's an interesting point is that this scene could have played if that's what George Lucas had wanted to go for. But to your point, he already did it in Return of the Jedi. So if this movie plays and goes, oh my God, these teddy bears have been captured for a better reason. There, There is no reason that they were captured. It doesn't make sense that they weren't all just destroyed by the Marauders because the Marauders' motivation was, we want this spaceship thing. And as soon as they have that, they don't need the Ewoks. They are aware that the Ewoks live on the planet. So it doesn't make sense for them to get captured beyond George Lucas's daughter saying, you can't kill them. Um, if they break out and are suddenly like super savvy and you're like, oh, wow, where did this come from? Except we saw them do that to the Empire, the previous movie. So we're like, yeah, of course they can use all the same tricks they use to destroy the stormtroopers. We literally know they can do that. And in fact, yeah. Also, no one would have cared if they did that. Like if they if, if like mirroring the exact same thing they did in Return of the Jedi, nobody would have a problem with that. Well, I mean, they do. That's what I'm saying. But I'm yeah, saying exactly like, well, I mean, like thinking about it from a script writing perspective, like, oh, should we do this? Should we repeat this? It's like, yes, we should absolutely repeat this. Well, we should repeat it if you're if you're like when you're when you're talking about special effects. That's the irony is that had they done a smaller scale film, a, a real Heidi and the end of the Heidi could literally be like, maybe her parents get captured again. You just make it a running theme that Sindel's parents are freaking idiots and keep getting captured on Endor. And she runs into Wilford Brimley and they have a relationship and they, they're able to reuse a lot of the sets that they use, the interiors for spaceships. It could look really good and still have the Heidi vibe and do it, but it's when you're trying to do for a $7 million budget, a TV movie with this like giant fight between Ewoks and Marauders that it just looks terrible. So... Ewoks escape because it's Halloween costumes versus Halloween costumes, by the way. That's the other thing, too, is they're all in very difficult costumes to be clear about action with. Like all these costumes are not very good, whereas the stormtrooper costumes and or like the actual Imperials, you have a person fighting somebody in in a more bulky, difficult costume. It, It it's a lot easier to control the flow of stunts. When it's not two people in cumbersome costumes smashing into each other. But the Ewoks get away. Um, Tarak sends the sorceress after that, like says, you know, find them, steals her ring so she can't transform back. The Marauders are going to go track them down. They run to Noah's spaceship 
because it still has like blasters and stuff on really does fit with your theme of he's a former commando repeat of the return of the jedi scene where they basically fight and win except it ends in the best way ever jeff so eventually oh this is i love this scene so it's not a good scene but i one of the most what the hell scenes that i've ever like there's nothing is established that would lead you to think that this is even a possibility so let's 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 lay the groundwork the the ewoks are, are the ewoks with the help of super advanced technology blasters are turning the tides against the marauders the marauders yep, these are guys are getting blasted by starship blasters yeah so it makes sense tarak the leader is upset and he just finds sindel and grabs her and like yells to Noah. he's like get your ass out here i'm gonna kill you or kill her and Noah, of course heart's been warmed comes out noah pulls out the the crystal to the starship and is like tell you what i'll fight you for it yeah and he says you kill her you ain't getting shit but if you fight me for it you know you can get this you can you can beat me for it yeah which is absurd because you have a seven foot marauder with a broad sword and noah a six you know wilford you can, you can easily describe him as a wilford brimley okay so wilford brimley threatens to fight and he's spry but he's getting his ass kicked like rightfully so because you Correct. have a giant with a broadsword against a guy with a walking stick and they don't indiana jones that he doesn't pull out his blaster and shoot him that would have made a lot of sense too yeah or there's no like old man aikido like the easiest way to make an old man seem very like old when old that's why when when yoda became a flippy lightsaber parkour champion you're just like no like instead of doing like just this kind of aikido using yeah, pa- somebody pa- else's aggression against karate kid. Yeah. He, he dodges and makes very okay very- it's it's a mr miyagi thing where it's just like go ahead throw the punch oh yeah you just punched through and a what he could have easily done is maybe get the guy's sword stuck in a tree or something now i know you're going to hate this jeff but i'm going to consider this a good plan payoff so what happens is in one of the best lines because as we've established the actress who plays Sindel is amazing very no, weighted a lot of the word best holding a lot of weight yes. in one of the best lines of this movie yeah all right so wilford brimley noah's getting his ass kicked Sindel turns to wicket you know the child the two children he goes she goes wicket do something and they had to adr that by the way because that's how great the line is mm-hmm. at the very start of the movie when they're hanging out together she's saying she's going to have to go home and go back to school and wicket says stay here i'll teach you and he has a sling and he puts a little berry in it he throws it in the air and catches it so wicket's like i'll teach you proficiency with a sling which he establishes Mm -hmm. she says wicket do something he pulls out his sling and he throws a sling tarak has grabbed the magic ring we established from the sorceress and has it hanging around his neck he hits that and for whatever reason the, the rule apparently is this magic ring that turns you into a raven if it is hit by a rock lights on fire and transforms you into stone and Tarak sees this happening he grabs he grabs it with his hand and holds it out in like a con you know like William Shatner con fist in the air he sure does and slowly turns into stone the sorceress as a raven tries to come and peck it out of his hand and she can't because it's stone and she flies off no notes I have notes in no way 
is any of this result established at all. This is just something where they forgot to write an ending. And then they were like, fucking make the ring turn him into stone. And you're just like, yeah. You're like, just do it. Just do it. Just magic is real. It's fine. Magic is real. This is a. It's so infuriating. <laughs> like it's from a from a person whose job it is to understand, interpret, and criticize media in whatever way I do it is is a professional capacity. It's my job. It's what I do. To see this, I I, I was like, what? Like, what are you talking? What's happening here? Like, what? Why? That was never established. Not once was that established at all. Uh, and it is, in a way, just utterly infuriating. And they're all like, yeah, it makes sense. Back, back yeah. to business as normal. Yeah. Back so to- then- oh, I would like to add that the little fucking freak um, Teak gives, during the battle, he gives a Blurg a hot foot. Like he's in, a, like he's in a, an MLB dugout and the Blurg is like a rookie. You know, like it's so, it was so funny to see it where I was just like, you got to be kidding me right now. A hot foot. I mean, this, this, this battle was amazing. Yeah. So I, I'd forgotten that, but you are right. Yeah. He, he goes and he, and by the way, it's, it's, it's worth stressing, right? The hot foot thing, as I understand it. And like this showed, I think, uh, what Mr. Baseball is the movie I can remember it the most from because it was a character developing. Oh, yeah. Uh, they do Tom that. Selleck does it yeah. early in the thing and pisses off the Japanese dugout. And then later they do it to him, showing that they've learned to rib each other because he teaches them how to have fun. Um, he does that with a lighter. Teak does it with Flint. So Flint there is this some, there, some, there is yeah. this giant monster sitting there, and they make you wait for it. So like Teak goes by his foot and is like sitting there, like starting a fire with Flint. Mm-hmm. And we watch it. We get to see we it sure now. do. We watch the whole process, and then it freaks out and eats some or tramples some some aliens. And then that's Which, how I'm the, not sure. That's how those we, Blurg got free and wound up on the Mandalorian. That's their backstory, Jeff. So, yeah, the Blurg are what essentially amount to, they look like, um, if you've ever seen a wolf fish, uh, or or I think they also uh, go by a wolf eel. You can call them either or. Um, but they're essentially the do-back version of, it's kind of what George wanted to do with do-backs in the original, but never could. So you just see one stationary do back in the back of the Dune Sea. Um, and so you now see that these are essentially pack animals, uh, much in the way like a horse would be, that they can be used for transportation, they can be used for travel, but they also definitely seem carnivorous. They have a carnivore's teeth, which is a, it would be like using a bear as a pack animal. And you'd be like, what? Love it. Why would I do this? Because um, you can I'm ride not- a bear. I, I mean, I guess, yeah, but like, so I don't really know what kind of aliens these are. I'm not sure if it actually, if they explain what they are, what Terak is. He is, he is a marauder. Um, they do have a name. It starts with like an S that does show up on the thing. Uh, Fanny Acid, I guess. Sure. Okay. Um, do do and- they reuse that that race? I don't, I mean, obvious, what, what happened with a lot of, like I said, our childhood is these bad things show up in one-off ideas that George Lucas has. And then some people that write, you know, like the extended universe stuff, write about it. I don't think they show up in any other movies as far as I know, though. Well, but, you know, like the Blurg, for example, the Blurg show back up in um, The Mandalorian. Uh, George was not afraid of reusing costumes 
And there's so much deep fiction written in the Star Wars universe that I it, think would... it it had to have been comics, right? Because they they do explain their backstory. Their backstory doesn't make sense. So maybe Dark Horse. Yeah, sure. it could be or novels. Like that's the other thing too. Like there's also novels um, that they apparently were show up in Star Wars Galaxy and Empire Divided in 2003, according to Wikipedia. Okay, so there we go. So Jeff, because you loved this so much, you can now track down more, more I Ewoks really battle can. for Endor backstory. Boy, can't I! And also, right. it's very important to know that when you're looking stuff up, the difference between um, the battle of Endor and the battle for Endor. Fun story. When I was writing the script the first time and was just copying in some of the links, I did copy in battle for, uh, you know, battle for Endor, with his, which is the battle of Endor the first time. And was like, yeah. wait a minute, this doesn't have no one in it at all. It's terrible. Uh, <laughs> that is, I, I think I forgot with the wrap up, Sindel leaves with no one. They say goodbye to the Ewoks. The end, yeah. we'll see you again someday, except they're all going to, die when the planet blows up because of the death star it, yep i mean although they they you know they retconned that no that's not what happened but realistically that's what would have happened so when we talk about the lasting implications of the battle for endor that's something that we should address and when you by that i mean like for example you have the blurg being used in the mandalorian okay that's one of those things that is clearly a nod to star wars fans Mm -hmm. Sort of like in Solo when she says that she studied Tarascasi, which is the name of the terrible Star Wars fighting game on the PlayStation 1. When you look at that and and the continuity is just all over the place. And yeah, they, they wrench it. They, they, it, at one point in time, there's a book called, I think, Legacy of the Force Fury, which was written in 2007, I want to say, or that's when it was published. And they actually, um, there's a scene where there someone's watching this movie, so that it's basically it's an entertainment. They, it's referred to as quote an entertainment broadcast in which Ewoks spoke basic and befriended shipwrecked little girls. So it was like this was supposed to be like a hollow vid or something in the universe. And that's their explanation yeah. for how to. So this is very much. I'm trying to think. This has been done before, like we're like an incontinuity. Movie. This is what Buzz Lightyear kind of claims. Um, the Buzz Lightyear movie claims that Buzz Lightyear in the Toy Story movies is not our Buzz Lightyear. He's based off of a movie. It's a totally based universe. off of the movie. Yeah. So we are. So this this is the precursor to Buzz Lightyear. Same idea. We are the, watching the conceptually. That's one way to go back. Uh, that's one way to go back to it. Um, it's good to see the Blurg come back, or in in the Mandalorian because there was a, like. When you have that fan service, like the Tarascasi reference in Solo or the Blurg come back, what you're going to do is you're going to get a lot of people tweeting the Rick Dalton, Leo DiCaprio pointing at the TV screen. People are going to, when a Blurg shows up on the Mandalorian and it's the guy pointing, you know, it's one of those things where people really do enjoy that. I, there's not a lot of continuity in this. Um, there, there really isn't in spite of the fact that this is just a steaming pile of space shit that, you know, there are people that love it like you that would might've been watching the Mandalorian and be like, I know that thing. I've seen that thing before. What is that walking piranha? And then you go back and be like, oh my God, they, they watched the battle for Endor. Like that's, 
the Mandalorian is this version of like kind of like desperate fan service and it's good. They do a good job of it, but it's clearly they do a lot of like wink winks. Well, we we keep sticking with the point of when you look at the Mandalorian and you want to insult any parts of it, the this continuity doesn't make sense. Or is that really how you're going to explain what happened with Boba Fett in the book of Boba Fett, which I also do wasn't amazing, but it was. But the reason I could watch the book of Boba Fett and go like, this is fun is I'm like, I like these characters. The special the book of good. Boba Fett was fun. Was, I'm old and boring. So yes. Um, it was fun. I mean, but that's the point. Like we grew I, up on this. Like, yeah. If you're a star, like, that is what bugs me so much about like the people our age that claim to be Star Wars fan. And like, they're destroying my childhood. I'm like, you don't remember your childhood. You were lying. <laughs> I'm like, I have this. I was a huge Star Wars fan in the nineties. The customizable card game, which we've hinted at, which will come up in a future show. I guarantee it. We grew up on like books and cheaply produced behind the scene, you know. Yeah. You had to effect. treasure hunt for your entertainment sometimes. Like you had to really look for the stuff that you were going to enjoy. Yeah. And so when people nowadays are like, oh my God, it was the most amazing thing ever. And they ruined it. I'm like, if you compare the Mandalorian side by side to this, it's not even close. It's, you know, it's so much better. And the stuff you're going to complain about being campy or cheesy or lame or silly looking, I'm like, I'm sorry. There were teddy bear. There were horrible looking teddy bears fighting stop motion dragons a year after Return of the Jedi. With impossible no bones, by the way. With the, I don't know if you noticed the bones that Wicket fights the dragon with, but they are pencil thin and then they come out to like a big end and it's just like no animal could survive on those bones. Well, this is like the argument, like why you can't have super giant bugs, right? Eventually like the physics, but you know, maybe the, maybe Maybe the midichlorians, Jeff, are in the air. You briefly mentioned Final Fantasy X, uh, and that's a, that's one of my favorite games, and I've nerded out on that way too much, and I have behind-the-scenes stuff on how to win the Blitzball game better than anybody out there, I guarantee oh, my it. Brother, my brother was a champion Blitzball player. That's did, all he did on that game was play Blitzball. Did, did he write a script to have them play on the uh, the boat to earn a lot of money and then take take the first game to overtime repeatedly so you could be level 99 in the first match and score 23 goals <laughs> i do not remember that but i do remember Cause, that cause, that was the I, thing that my brother I, was like it's like when you met kokobo breeders or chocobo breeders in final fantasy 7 that's like they spent all their time breeding chocobos well see that's a mistake too because the random number generator in final fantasy 7 is skewed so you just have to do hard resets of the game to to get what you need yeah. anyway <laughs> Maybe, maybe that'll come up on a future show. The key about Final Fantasy X is in that game, there are these things called fireflies. And when you start looking through all the lore of the game, that's everything. How are they able to breathe underwater for so long? Pyreflies. How are these things able to do that? Pyreflies. How is this thing able to, you know, fly? Pyreflies. So it's very similar. Like you can use like the midichlorian argument in Star Wars to say <laughs> when they're like, wait a minute, these bones don't work physically. Wait, this this could never happen. It's like, nope, it's midichlorians. Yeah. All midichlorians, Jeff. Um when we look at like, is the movie a bad idea? No. Is the movie executed poorly? 99.9999%. Um, it is bad. Uh, it is, the script is bad. The acting is bad. The special effects are, I guess, good for their time. But when you look at other things that came out around that time, and when you look at previous Star Wars properties, that's the one thing to me where it's like, it's TV. It's like, it shouldn't matter if you are George Lucas. Like, you should want the shit you make to look good. And if you can't, make it a cartoon. 
animation or make is it where smaller you... scale. I mean, you, if, you, yeah. if it takes place inside of, as I mentioned, you could do when, when the scenes inside of the spaceship, which are, you know, boring and just narrative building, when those happen, it looks good because they have all of the old props from old ships yeah. that they can piece together. They can, you know, the, the people that work on industrial light and magic and with Lucas films at the time could piece together a good looking interior star Wars set, you know, yeah. in less than a day, I bet that's what you do. Yeah. And yeah. So, um, apparently, uh, George said that the the these movies were very expensive, which is I don't which see how, true, but okay. But, but it's uh, but but it's what you choose to spend your money on. If you've got yeah. a bunch of people, you've got a bunch of seven footers in Halloween costumes doing really hard to do stunts that don't look good for seven footers in Halloween costumes. Yeah. That's and what it, you're spending your money. And on. you're not working on a soundstage. Like maybe some of the scenes in like the hut might have been on a soundstage, but for the most part, this is clearly not sound staged it's clearly shot on location um teak um is awful teak you he's making ewoks for he you know because like when you look at like what the ewoks worth it is something marketable for return of the jedi something for kids by adding an it's like putting a hat on a hat the teak character is a redundancy it is a way to create a superpowered deus ex machina character kind of a thing. Like, oh, well, Ewoks don't have superpowers, but we we would benefit from something that has a literal superpower. That That is, I think Teak might be the most insulting part of this from a from an art perspective, from a viewing films as art. It's that is he's teak is insulting is that is that over i mean i'm I'm supposed to be critical about this right i'm supposed to look into this and geek out and nerd out but th that is an insulting character i love the the crown jewel of this trilogy that we're wrapping up jeff being the muppet family christmas because it is really really important to show a good example of what we're talking about because it makes complete sense this was done by these movies were done by abc to make money and George Lucas had a very tight script and all this stuff. And it makes complete sense to go to give it all the flack in the world. You're, you're working with kids. You, you're on a tight budget. You're on a tight deadline. And you go, okay, well, if you're going to do that, you have to lean into those constraints and do with what you can. And as we know, with like Muppet Family Christmas, that's where you make these funny little interactions that make more sense. And that's what you invest your time in. And if you have to have plot building things, that's where you make them you you accept that they're narratively needed and might be a little thing, but then you move on from them quickly. And so I do think that's very important is because it is really, really easy to point at stuff from our childhood as being bad and justify why it's bad. But you also have to say, if that was their goal, what could they have done? And I would agree with that. And I, I think that's what you're looking at is like, this was a sequel to a phenomenal made for TV movie. And there was so much they could have done and George Lucas made a vanity project for his daughter that also was like, it's, it's, it's such a con contradiction because it's a vanity project for a five-year-old that is also supposed to be dark because George Lucas wants to be taken seriously as an artist. And that makes absolutely you no can't, sense. You can't, I'm sorry, but you can't. You, yeah, you can't it's, do both. It's so hard to do that. You like standing out being like, I demand to be taken seriously as an artist while I make my action figure made for TV movie featuring a child because I want to do Heidi. Um, yeah is that yeah but that's bad <laughs> it's silly and you know what it's fine just don't watch it
Like if you, if you grew up with this and want to rewatch it for fun, great. If we've brought a smile to your heart, great. If not, though, I mean, we're 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 honing in on the amount of time the movie took for for this episode, depending on how much I edit it. This is this is fine. The stuff you were doing, you explaining like Noah's backstory and other funny stuff, Jeff. Listen to that instead. It was produce that at least. I would like to see though. I feel bad for Noah for the Wilford Brimley character that he never got an action figure. There's the not fact, a known action figure. What? I do not believe so. Did Star Wars in, like because I remember Star Wars Insider or was it Star Wars? Yeah, Star Wars Insider was the magazine, right? Not Star Wars Galaxy. Star Wars Galaxy was the trading card set. Was there ever a Noah action figure? And I don't think there was. Which, all right, bummer. Because I think that would be that would be a great little like direct you know, or available only at the Disney store, in spite of the fact that it's not canon. Like, it would be funny if they made that toy. And I bet it would sell. A little. Or I like mean, a two-pack of, or of like I, him, or a, a pack of him, Sindel, T, and Teak. I've shouted out Eric Walker, who played Mace in the first movie, and briefly in this, and he's done, Tim and Warwick Davis as a class assignment while making this movie recorded like two hours of footage. And he's tried to pitch that to Disney repeatedly. He reminds me a lot of you, Jeff. He's got like unboxing videos and stuff. But he like kickstarted a book, um, you know, does do some stuff, has offered his footage to Disney. And it seems like this is one of those things that they're not interested in doing anything more beyond releasing it on Disney Plus. Fair. Which took yeah, a while I feel like they're probably like, mm, they should be better at it, but they should be nicer. Um, um, it, it is frustrating. I mean, the the modern era of streaming where you have these big companies like HBO Max that are looking for tax breaks. And it's like, it would be trivial for HBO with their IP to release so much stuff to fans. You could even charge for it. And their logic is it's not even worth the bandwidth it would cost to host that. We would rather do it as a write-off, take, you know, have some account and give it some fake value and write it off for our taxes, which is which is real depressing. So in the modern world, we have all this, you know, we actually have an example of some great footage from the 80s of like Skywalker Ranch and stuff that would be great to see. And unfortunately, the giant conglomeration that pretty much owns the rights to produce that is is not interested. It is funny that um, his character's name is Mace, because as I don't know if you know this, but Mace was the original name used for the first Star Wars. Really? I did not know. I mean, I was thinking Mace Windu, who also died unceremoniously, but really? So, yeah, originally it was Luke? like Luke Starkiller, and it was like the Mace Windu was originally like a name that was going to be used in the first, the, the original Star Wars thing, yeah. Fantastic. All right, Jeff, I, I know I've taken us a little past time. I I'm here for it, you. baby. Anytime I can talk Ewoks, I'm happy. Well, Star Wars, definitely. You did the Star yeah. Wars history. Ewoks, you're like, what? what is this? Um, but I was going to definitely say, you know, taking the time, it wouldn't be shocked if you have 20 more podcasts to record. But so, all right. What about you, Jeff? How many billion things you got? Well, hey, if you're listening to this, then you know I have a channel, whether it's on Patreon or whether you're listening for free. Um, so you can listen to Jeff Has Cool Friends, uh, a real passion project where I get to uplift and, and focus them instead of the attention on me. The attention gets to go to the people that I I know, love and want to sort of share out there. So. Definitely check that out. Uh, you can get early access to uncensored episodes with bonus content at patreon.com slash Jeff May. 
Um, with the Zeb Wells episode that dropped, I think the bonus content is nearly a half hour and it is incredibly fun. That episode alone is one of the episodes that not only I've been wanting to do for the longest, like since I started the show, um, but it's one of the most fun and funny shows. Uh, and that that dude's been writing everything. So check that out. Uh, you can also get access to Nerd here. You're listening. You don't need me to tell you that. But on Patreon, also Ugg Fine with Kim Crawl and so much other stuff. You can also hear Tom and Jeff watch Batman on the Gamefully Unemployed Network. And you don't even like sports and unpopular opinion, both on the Unpops Network. If you want to see me live and in person, by all means, head on over to Blast from the Past on Magnolia and Burbank the second Friday of every month for Mint on Card. And uh, if you live in Massachusetts, February 22nd, uh, knock it off your calendars. Maybe clear off that Wednesday night. All right. Sounds good. And you're what? Hey there, Jeff Fro on social media. H-E-Y-T-H-E-R-E-J-E-F-F-R-O on Twitter, Instagram, and Hive. We still doing Hive? Sure. Why I, not? I don't know. I mean, uh, I have not been paying attention to Hive. And yeah, I, I, I sourced out my name on a couple of them. Everything with Mastodon, because Mastodon, I'm a computer programmer. And I go to Mastodon. And I'm like, I don't, I, don't, I don't get it. There's a lot going on there. Hey, you got anything else to promote? All right. Well, I do the Box Score Geeks show with Brian Foster every other Tuesday. You can find that at boxscoregeeks.com and anywhere podcasts are found as the Box Score Geeks show. You're going to have to be talking a lot of Celtics this year, Jeff. They're, they're doing really good. I think they're going to beat the Nuggets in the finals. It'd be cool. Um, as well as on alternating Tuesdays, possibly coming on Wednesdays, I play on twitch.tv forward slash Rickster GT with my friend Landon, R-I-X-T-E-R-G-T. Alternating Tuesdays, I play with my friend Landon, Rickster GT on twitch.tv. Currently, we have like an audience of three. So if you want to join <laughs> out, that's fun. Check We're it out. Playing Super, Super Metroid. And then, of course, we do the monthly nerd podcast with Jeff. So there's that. And I did the royal we, I guess, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, but that being said, everyone, thank you so much for listening to this, our January 2023 episode of Nerd. Uh, finishing off season two of uh, made for TV specials and movies. We'll see what's coming up soon. Uh, but for now, uh, we love you. Bye. Bye. All right. Next episode of nerd is going to be up to you, the fans to decide. We're going to do a one-off episode where we wait for a great season three that I'm really, really excited about. Our choices for next month's show are going to be either a one-off episode about Ben Edlund's original run of The Tick. This is the 11-issue arc in the black and white comics produced by New England Comics. Or LCD gaming devices. We're talking about these little things you can buy at the store that just have little pixels. And this even goes all the way back to Nintendo Game & Watch devices. Uh, you can hear the discussion Jeff and I have about it where we even tease what's going to come up next and maybe even tease a season four or season five if all goes well. Anyway, make your decision. Choose wisely. We'll see you next time. The plan for the future is that we have a trilogy plan for season three. We are hoping to coincide that with essentially year three of the Jeff May, Jeff Has Cool Friends brand. <laughs> Which would be really cool. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to help some with that and coincide. Yeah, basically, you know, synergistic, very George Lucas, where the nerd podcast will have a theme that relates to other stuff that's coming out. We teased it already. Go back and listen to the show if you didn't hear it. But I want to wait a month to do that so that we have a bit of lead time for you to also do some other stuff. You've mentioned you might restructure some Jeff Haskell friends, Patreon tiers, which your guests have been telling you to do for two years. So I'm, I'm happy if that happens. It's going to happen at the two-year anniversary. So... We're looking for a filler episode, a Dragon Ball Z episode, <laughs> the next episode of Nerd.
And I haven't minded before where basically we both bring an idea to the table. I have one. If you don't have one, I forgot to tell you before the show. So either we can sure didn't. Yeah, I, I think we did it uh, at the wind down of one of the last one, which was like a month ago, right before you and I both had the most hectic Decembers ever. So, sure you, did, so I was like, yeah. hey, Jeff, remember that throwaway line I had at that conversation before I drove through a blizzard and you released every podcast in the world in December? You're like, shockingly, oh, no. And an eight episode week. That was amazing. That was yeah. an amazing week. That Go was... listen to all, all of those are worth it. And I, I still give the shout out to Do You Hear What We Hear? I hope that's a recurring theme. I hope I, it would be really interesting. I don't know if you can do it again, but I mean, you could do something like that with guests next. Oh, with, with that when Alex, when he did Alex Simonovsky, great episode, really fun. Um, yeah, he, he's like, I just wanted to do a one-off. Um, but I'm saying that is a fast, you know, if he gives his blessing or whatever next year, you know, depending on the size of Jeff has cool friends at Christmas time, that would be an interesting thing to see some of your guests discuss like favorite Christmas songs. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I feel like countdown stuff is not owned by anybody. Um, the name is his, that's his name of his podcast. So he gets to choose whatever he wants to do with that. All right. Um, but yeah, what what were you going to, what was your suggestion for your suggestion? And I think I kind of pitched this possibly as a trilogy. And then you said, Hey, it would be a good one-off is going over the original run of the tick. So the original black and white comic, I actually brought my trade paper back home. So just (laughs) those, I think there are 11 or 12 episodes that ended right before he then went into animation. I think that would be a fun thing to just recap. I, I know we're both huge Tick fans on Tom and Jeff Watch Batman. You routinely bring it up as a better show. And in fact, I think you referenced it. This this last Tom and Jeff Watch Batman, great show if you don't listen to on the Gamefully Unemployed Network. I think you were referencing something like that. And you brought up an episode where there was like an Arthur clone. Yeah, the Thrakazog episode. Yeah. yeah. And that was uh, the Tick television show. That would be too much. That would be too long to do. That would take yeah. a longer season, have to be more regular. But just the comics would be would be an interesting one, I think. And if you have a better one-off, we can either battle them out here briefly, put them to a poll, or just go with the tick. You don't have to. Uh, you don't have to pull teeth on a one-off for me with the tick. I mean, because there are doing the tick comics and everything like that. It would be hard for me not to, because that'll be a long episode, and I'll I'll tell you why is because of the amount that I will want to talk about other tick things. I'm just not sure that. People are going to want three months straight of Tick comics, then Tick cartoon, then Tick live action. I, if we if 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 we do get to the point, and part of this is your time frame and my time frame, and yeah. you know logistics, where it could be more regularly scheduled, because I'm a, I'm aware with the you know month gap in between, it's nice to have a little bit of you know spice of life variety. Um, I would love to do more Tick stuff if if logistic you know we'll, we'll see what your Patreon goes for in the future. If logistically people are like. I want to hear Jeff talk about the tick more, but I mean that to your point, the, the, the one-off comic, the, the trade paperback of the original run of the tick, which is a black and white comic, very much in the Ninja Turtles variety, right? In indie underground, I think from your area, he's from New England, right? New England comics, Ben Edlund, uh, Ben, Ben Edlund did that off of, uh, out of New England comics, which is, and I believe I'm not even going to pretend to what, uh, city that was in, but yeah, I have that. I've met Ben. Um, he, I bought the car, the karma tornado was actually my first tick comic that I bought and I bought the trade paperback from him and I have a, he did a sketch of the tick inside of it. Oh, you're going to have, we're going to have to do show and tell for sure on that. So I do like that. So there, there have been things that I thought about that. I was like, well, that would be interesting for a one-off episode. And one of them I thought was, um, LCD gaming. Uh, Tiger Electronics and gaming watches. Interesting. I was having, so here's the thing that one I'll, I'll say I'm not as in, interested in just for like lack of knowledge, but my like one little one-off story is 
I remember in like kindergarten sneaking one of those into my lunchbox I wasn't supposed to, and they're terrible, and it just started like making noise in the car, and I got busted. You know what's funny is I have the sounds of the baseball game, the the <laughs> Tiger Electronics people. That was like if you strike out, and if you get the hit, like, and it would depend on how you moved around there. Um, so that that one I find I found it to be very interesting, primarily because they were re-released relatively. They've been like re-released. Like the X Men one was in Target not too long ago. And I was like, wow, what a stupid piece of shit this would be if you gave it to someone as a gift. Cause they'd be like, oh my God, I love this growing up. And you play it and you're like, I don't, I don't need, I don't need this. Agreed. Um, but, but that was, that was one that had come across uh, my mind. There are, um, there, there's a lot that you could really talk about. Like I would, uh, a one off episode on serial mascots, I think would be interesting. You think, I mean, that, that one is even larger than the tick with it what is, you could go into. It's large, but you also, you can pare it down into very short chunks. But from a research perspective, it's much larger. When you'd have mm. to do like Tony the Tiger, Diggum, um, Captain Crunch, all those things. Captain Crunch, who, by the way, most famous person that follows me on Twitter. Captain Crunch follows you, like Captain officially. Crunch, yeah. Unlike, uh, what is it? Ocean Spray doesn't just steal your content without following you, which is just rude. Damn you, Ocean Spray. (laughs) Yeah, but the the blue check mark of of Captain Crunch does follow me, yeah. And Five Hour Energy. Those are my two two big corporate follows. Because I actually like user engagement, and I'm going to be arrogant and say i think the tick hopefully wins in front of those two which one do you want to put up as your champion you whatever one you want dude like this because like there's so many one-off episodes that i could do that that like and and again when you look at like if you look at the background that i'm bringing to the table you could see that you could pluck one-off episodes off of half of the shit that's just behind me or or the stuff that you can't see in front of me where it's like oh we could do you know, collectible plates. Yeah, we were we were joke we were joking about that. I don't remember if it's on the recording, but pre-show we were joking about like if season two of this was like a Kaiser Soze situation where I was just looking behind you, going like uh He-Man and Star Wars, and you don't have anything Muppet behind you is the only reason that falls apart. Yeah, there's no Muppets. I'm looking for I'm looking at like I have a bag of art right behind me. I have a but but I mean, I, we were talking kind of the George Lucas, you know, engineering engagement and stuff. And I won't lie that I'm doing it there. Part of why I don't hate the poll thing is you basically do, not only do you get pre-engagement, which you've been very good at, you know, you release, hey, coming out in two days, amazing Jeff has cool friends. But then you also get people invested because then if someone says, I want, I really want to hear about, like I said, you get to choose one LCD gamings or, or cartoon mascots. Then they're invested when it comes out, they're like, yes, mine won or, oh, mine lost. This is terrible. I have to see what it, what it lost out to. Do That's you my think, personal opinion, unless you really don't like the poll. D- does serial mascots scare you because of the scope? The scope it does, but I, I am, I've said this about you on the show and just listening, like you are capable of taking many, many topics. That one we might have to do a little more structure to, right? That one we might have to, we're going to talk about these five, bring them to the table and see there. Yeah, who and would that be the one big five? Might be one where I would. Who would be the big five? Okay, so if if I had to pick my serial mascots, okay, you got the the racist leprechaun, right? Because it's yep, it's lucky. okay to just make fun of Irish people, apparently, right? It still is, yes. Yeah, 
Yeah, you, you, you got lucky. a whole basketball team about it. You got Captain Crunch. Rabbit. Tricks Rabbit, of course. Uh, Coco for Cocoa Puffs. Tony the Tiger. Uh, Tony the Tiger, yes, but the I'm Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. That oh yeah, so oh, interesting. Sunny. Is he, is he getting sunny? Cut? I don't know if he would make the final. Wow. The Snap Crackle and Pop would be, I think. All right, I yeah, they would be in front. They're one, I think Sunny is the B League. I think Sunny Sunny from Cocoa Puffs would be like with the Cookie Crook, and the Cookie cr- from Cookie Crisp, the cop and the cook. I think honestly, not for nothing, we might want to save that one for a a trilogy and season. Puts, yeah, like because now that we're looking at it, I'm like, man, I would because you could do a whole episode on just the monster cereals. And I, mean, and I also don't. I also don't. That would be really good for Halloween. So you you hate Halloween, but I think that's the one way we could bring Jeff into the we could Hall- schedule right? that for October. October, yeah. Oh yeah. That so would, then I'll put, be... I'll put I'll put um LCD gaming. So your Tiger Electronics, your Nintendo Game Watches. Um, which should lose. <laughs> like, like I know, I know that I'm bringing that to the table, table, but like that, that should lose, right? I like. Well, I like that we've got a future because we have one season. And what I would also like about the the television mascots, because I mean, this is my my personal goal. As long as the nerd podcast is released under your banner, which I hope you know, either hope one of two things: you get too big, like, hey, we're too big for you. It should be awesome. That would mean that would mean something else. I'm not worried about that. Or to some level of of cross promotion, right? I don't hate yeah. that. And so, like I said, the, the the next season we probably have planned. I don't even know if I'm going to bring a counter champion to the argument. I just want to coincide with some other content. And of course, one of your long run, you you are a well known advertising expert, which will I, I guarantee you? You know, I don't. We we've talked offline a lot about this. I know for a fact that there is a lot of amazing advertising content you have, and mm-hmm. like even some stuff that's the cutting room floor that I'm going to argue with you needs to be like. You need to do like a Jeff one-off episode or something on it, like the LVS commercials that you oh, yeah, right. brought into my world. Look, look up Latter Day Saints lying commercials. It's hard to live with a lie. My necklace. Oh my God. Who stole my necklace? Oh my God! Jeff. I stole uh, your anyway. necklace. But basically, so some cross. So, so the the I could see the serial mascots being good cross cross promotion if there's more advertising content. So that could be a good future. Yeah. One. So I agree. So well, I, I also electronic. feel like we uh, uh, an '80s PSA. Nobody would listen to that. Maybe people would listen to that, but that would be an interesting one too, is 80s. God damn it. The thing I love about this show is just how much stuff we can cover. And the thing I hate about it is we, we other than doing the Patreon exclusive um, episode two from this season, uh, is that we it's only a monthly show. And because I'm just like, we could do like 80s PSAs. That would be cool, right? And then it's just well, like, my, I mean, no, the long, as, as you can see, my long term goal is that, you know, yeah, I, you know, I want to both help this grow, help you grow. Yeah. And then if there's more time for Jeff to produce content as opposed to having to, you know, run a small business and by condolences, I've done that. And it's a <laughs> hell of a lot of fun. And oh, by the way, tax season's coming up in two months. So I hope you got your 1099 misks and receipts, Jeff. Good. Good luck on that. Um, so yeah, I'm long fucked. term, hopefully there's there's room for that. But we'll, we'll I'll have you put a poll out for LCD Electronics and The Tick. You guys pick LCD Electronics over the tick. What are you? What are you even doing here? But yeah, if you do it Although, as a, like a rib, I'd, I'd also it, enjoy that too. It's interesting because that was Nintendo's real first foray into really video. It would games be interesting to talk about yeah. game and watch and stuff. Because I mean, yeah. I just know I, I know like briefly of it. We even brought up on the show that like 
wasn't even in my back pocket when I was talking to history. So that works for me. All right, head over to patreon.com forward slash Jeff May to vote. Or if you're in the future, you can see what already won. I'm sure you picked wisely and I would in no way try and influence the vote with the end. Anyway, enjoy. <laughs>